Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Right, welcome everybody to Hack It Out Golf with the fabulous Scott Fawcett. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, thank you. It should be uh, fun. Yeah, looking forward to this. And Lou Stagner, welcome Lou. Yeah, thanks, Mark. Uh, looking forward to it. So this is a new podcast. My name is Mark Crossfield, which the three of us are going to try and keep going <laughs> as many as we can. And today we're going to talk about how far the ball is going on tour and ideas of how far it could go. We'll be talking about ideas of if it's an advantage or not, which I think we all kind of know the answers of that a little bit. Should be a fun episode. Uh, hack it out, golf. Thanks for listening. So I've got a question for you both. Let's kick this off. How far actually are these PGA Tour players going now? Who wants to tackle that one first? I'll jump in. I'll tackle that one first. So Come on then, Lou. How far are they actually hitting it? Because obviously online, it's like they're all hitting it 400 yards every tee shot because that's what we see on Instagram, PGA Tour and the rest of it. How far actually are they going? Yeah, that's a good. Uh, that is a good point to make. If you listen to Twitter or Instagram, everyone hits at 400. But uh, tour average is it's about 296, 297 for the entire tour. The longest 10 players on tour are roughly around 312. Um, and to give a little context around that, from 2000 to 2004, the longest 10 players were about 298, 299 in that range. So we've we've gained about 13 yards for the longest players over the last uh, 15 to 20 years. Uh, and uh, that's uh, kind of the direction that we're headed, but uh, that's uh, where we are currently. I think personally, like what Bryson has done is similar to the four-minute mile where nobody broke it for millennia, and then once somebody did, now we've got high school kids that break it on a yearly basis. I think what Bryson has done has shown kind of what is possible, because what I'll say, I mean, I've walked practice rounds with Rory and DJ and Bubba, and, you know, I when I was playing professionally, my 20s was a low 120 club head speed guy, I'm assuming, since we didn't have launch monitors then, but based on how far I hit it, I think that's about right. When I've walked with Rory and Bubba, I mean, like, they're clearly better golfers than me, but I'm not blown away like I can I can do that but when I went out and walked the final round at Colonial right after the pandemic you know kicked in Como and I went and walked around there's nothing but the television crews and the players and us so we could duck around and when I saw Bryson hit the first tee shot in person outdoors that I saw on number 11 my jaw dropped because I was like oh that's different and like I say, I think that he has illustrated what is possible. And, and I just don't think people really thought that kind of speed was playable on tour. It honestly felt like a joke when I was walking around because there's no spectators. It's Sunday afternoon and I got Bryson out there swinging as hard as physically possible in a PGA Tour event. Like it just didn't feel real. And he was paired with Rory that day and he was just blowing at 50 to 60 past him all day. And it was like, you've got to be kidding me. I, I really think that. You know, the, the question of how far do they go now is amazing, but I really think it's going to be similar to that four-minute mile where we're about to make a quantum leap uh, forward over the next, I was originally saying 10 years when I kind of knew what they were working on during the pandemic, but after seeing it and seeing what he did at the U.S. Open, I think it's going to be almost instantaneous, a, a jump, a noticeable jump 
over the next two years. So what's interesting, yeah, what's interesting with that point, I think, is that, so with Rory as an example, I've been lucky enough to follow Rory quite closely in tournament golf. Uh, I remember never forget a situation in Turkey where he was impressive off the tee as I watched, and I agree there were there were players who could do what he was doing around the world distance-wise. But he hit it in a fairway bunker on one of the holes on the front nine, and I looked at it, like walked straight up to it and just thought, like, well, he's getting that 30 yards short of the green and then pitching on from here. And he took a 9-iron out, and I can't remember the exact yardages. I was zapping the yardages at the time. There's actually a video of it on YouTube. And he pitched it past the pin comfortably. So he went to his Bryson gear with loft because he had a lip to go over in his bunker. And then he just went back into his normal gaming mode. So I do think lots of those players could do what Bryson is doing. Like Brooks, definitely DJ, I reckon. Well, I've seen videos of him going after it. And it's longer than what his average is on the PJ Tour. Like you say, Bryson's just pushed the ideas of how much you can go after it in tournament play on, which they're all kind of taking a look at and noticing and reacting to, don't you think? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And, and the athleticism for Bryson to be able to swing that hard and still keep it on the planet is uh, pretty astounding. So it'll be interesting to see what players have the ability to do that. I'm sure you've seen the swings of Finau out there. And Finau, can, he can move the ball and he can hit 200 ball speed without a problem. But can he keep it in play? It will be the will be the question. And Bryson is so far ahead of the field right now with how fast he is moving the ball that over the last year and a half since he started this adventure, he's hit 73 drives over 360. The second place person on that list is Cameron Champ with 33. So wow. Bryson is more than double Cameron Champ in that stat. And kind of go back to something you let off with, Mark, around how far are they actually hitting it. Only about 10% of drives on tour go over 320. So it, it is not a 350-yard drive all day long. Someone like Bryson certainly hits the ball long, but the tour as a whole, only about 10% of drives are over 320. And when you look at those really long drives, you're going to generally find some something that's contributing to that. If you look at, so I took a look at uh, all of the drives 320 plus over the last few years, and of those drives, if you look at uh, uh, WGC Mexico, which is played at 7,800 feet of altitude, those holes that are out in Hawaii that are you know like 90-foot drops and the ball runs 100 yards after it hits, and then the 15 holes that had the most number of 320-yard drives, those alone, I didn't even look any further than that, those accounted for about a third of all of the drives over 320. And so most of the time when you see a hole with a lot of balls that are 310, 320 plus, I guarantee you it's downhill, downwind, at altitude, or some combination of the three. Well, it's like number 18 at the Tournament of Champions. I mean, they just all roasted down there, you know, darn near 360, just because it is, like you say, straight downhill. And, you know, it's hot, just everything. Yeah, absolutely. So how far are they actually going now? We're focusing, obviously, in our first part there on the top ones. I mean, there's plenty of medium in their peer group hitters who are competing and winning tournaments. I mean, a great example, Cameron Smith is not the longest golfer in the world. I mean, it did stand out a little bit on the last day at the Masters. But was he second? Did he finish joint second or second on his own at the Masters? And certainly not really competing for distance 
against someone like uh, DJ. So even though the trend is maybe that we are seeing more people earn more money with it X distance and distance, it's showing itself there's such a huge advantage, which is where what Scott says about it going there, I totally agree it's going to go there, which we'll come to in this pod where we think it's going to go to. There are still plenty of golfers out there competing, hitting it, what would be called a more PGA Tour traditional distance, isn't there? Well, I don't really follow it close enough to know. I mean, <laughs> you know, I know that, I, you know, I work with guys like Matthew Fitzpatrick, you know, on, on a cursory level. And so there's guys like him or like you said earlier, Mark, you know, Brian Gay, you know, that guy's older than me, I'm pretty sure, because we played in Asia together back in 1997. Um, yeah. He's at least my age at a minimum. And is out there competing, but even still, Brian Gay, I, I haven't again paid too much attention to it. But I see Joe Mayo constantly posting about Brian Gay's gains, and it's it's just it's just free money laying on the ground. And kind of to what you were saying earlier, Mark, it, it it struck me when DJ and Rory immediately started posting 190 ball speed pictures. And these guys, they've got they're out there for a reason. They've all got egos the size of Texas. And I'm telling you, they're not going to just sit back and let Bryson just blow them away. And really the key that when people have asked me about it, what I feel like was missed with Tiger in the late 90s and early 2000s was just his brute strength. It was taken like, okay, this guy's really fit, like cardiovascular fit, whereas, you know, he was also super strong. Even when people talk about Tiger's huge, I mean, he's six foot 185. He's not huge by any stretch of the imagination. What Bryson has shown, in my opinion, is that it is just brute strength. It's not, it is a fast twitch sport, but it's not a fast twitch sport. It is how strong, the stronger, just physically strong you are, the further you're going to hit it. And it's, you know, to my personal experience with chasing a little bit of distance for fun over the last year, I've started doing heavier deadlifts and squats and lat pulldowns. And I can feel my speed coming back really without doing anything else other than just going heavier. And I think that's what was missed with Tiger, um, you know, just general fitness-wise. But no, it's not that. It's just get really big and fat and strong. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you've seen that, obviously, Bryson's transformation was massive, wasn't it? With, um, you know, pre-lockdown to post-lockdown, basically, is kind of where I remember it happening, um, where he, he seemed to make that physical transformation. And it was blatantly a deliberate goal, wasn't it, Scott? I mean, it was a agenda to get faster because he could see the advantages it could bring him. It was, it was not oh, I'm going to try something, there was, it was no different to, a, it was a um, a business plan as such, wasn't it? I'd go to the bank with my business plan, here it is, I'm going to eat this, I'm going to work out like this, I'm going to try and swing this fast, and I reckon it will earn this money, can you help me? It, it was as clear as written down as any business plan, was it not? A hundred percent, and that's the thing that I think also people have missed is because, you know, he's been working with Como as of this point now, two years, this is not... You saw the the real meaty gains like over the the pandemic because you just you know you didn't see him for 
three or four months. But also, yeah. really leading into those early in the season, you really hadn't seen him much also. He'd already put on probably 20, 25 pounds leading into the pandemic. But then those next 25 feel like they came overnight when, in fact, they were really over another four months. And circling back to what people have gotten wrong in the past is people have gone out, you know, and so-and-so chases distance and completely loses their game. They've tried to change their swing to get distance. Bryson didn't, I mean, I'm sure there's things that they're working on swing-wise, obviously, but a lot of it was just getting stronger. And that's, to me, the difference when people are like, well, you'll 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 blow yourself out. I don't. It's not a given. If I always talk about Zach Blair just for fun, but Zach at you know 110 miles an hour, in my opinion, has just as high of a chance of injuring himself as Bryson does because he's swinging at it as hard as he can, and actually his body is is kind of maxing out there. Bryson is it's a faster, more violent motion, but his body is more prepared for it. It's it's like uh, LeBron James was on a podcast earlier this year where he's talking about he spends a million dollars a year on his body between chefs and trainers. That's three thousand bucks a day he spends on his body, and Bryson's obviously not spending that much. But I guarantee you, it's a it's a shocking number. But you know, just taking a private jet to Denver for a couple of days of work with a guy. I mean. There's 50 grand right there. And, and that's what I, again, I think people miss is they just assume longer is going to be more crooked, which is Lou, you know, talked about earlier is not the case and that it's going to produce more injuries, which is also just not, it's not a given in my opinion that it's going to be more, let alone, I think it could even be less. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with that. That kind of moves us on to the second point then. So the second point is who is the longest and are they actually the best player? So are we seeing that if you become the longest that you instantly become the best player or is there more things uh, obviously at foot in this amazing game where lots of skills obviously are rewarded or not and length being one of them. So does being the longest actually make you the best? Guys, what do you think? Well, you know, I, this, this is an interesting question, and, and I always wonder about the players. Clearly, having speed is an advantage, and it's always been an advantage. And we can look at the numbers a hundred different ways, and every way you look at it, you will see that being faster, being able to hit the ball longer is going to be an advantage. I wonder if this is a – I've always wondered if this is a bit of a, a chicken and egg argument where um, are they better because they're longer or are they longer because they're better players and they're more efficient with their swing and, and they're just better athletes? And, and naturally, they're going to be better. They're going to be able to move the club faster. They're just better athletes. So that's something that, that, that kind of uh, noodles around in, in my brain around this whole topic. And, you know, Bryson is clearly the fastest player out there right now with how he's moving it. But I think there's a lot of players that are going to be nipping at his heels. But distance will always be an advantage. The longest players, as long as they can keep it in play, and, and that is the key. One of the stats that I look at, I call the UTO percent, and that's players that are basically hitting it more than 35 yards offline on tee shots, and they're doing it a high percentage of the time. And I'm not going to pick on anybody too much here. But when you look at the list of players that are hitting it way offline, there's some long players on that list, and they are struggling to keep their card or, they, or they've lost their card. And, you know, one of the players on that list at the top of the list, if you look at it over the past, past few years, Smiley Kaufman. 
he went from keeping it in play to hitting it off the map. So the guys that are going to get longer, there's going to be a trade-off there. And, and Bryson's trade-off might be a little little bit higher than, than some other player. And they need to be able to keep it inside of a reasonable window, keep it in play, avoid penalties off the tee, and, and, and gain as much as they possibly can without getting into the danger zone. That's really interesting because honestly, I didn't realize you track that stat. It's a cool one because obviously it lines right up with my accidentally backing into the 65 yards of width that I'm looking for between penalty hazards. Obviously, 35 yards is essentially just double that. And when I went back through by hand for a PJ Tour article, just I went through by hand and just plotted out the top tens tee shots as well as the top three in accuracy guys tee shots. And I look at how many people miss it. In, and obviously, I'm kind of ballparking what I think their actual target was on a dog leg left. I've got to shift it further left for Bryson or, or whatever. And Bryson, he hit two foul balls outside of that 65-yard window at the for 72 holes at the U.S. Open. And they were both on number two where he's trying to hit a fade, which obviously one thing I always talk about is only working the driver specifically one direction. And essentially, at the U.S. Open, the dude just he didn't hit a bad tee shot. Um, again, aside from the ones he tried to cut. And... The rest of the tee shots, at that level, if you can keep it within 65 yards, it's pretty normally distributed, and it's a pretty flat bell curve. Like, you, you, yes, you hit more in the middle of your shot pattern than on the extreme edges right or left, but it's not like it's a, a very tall bell curve, if you will. And so if you think about just keeping it inside of that 65-yard window, the fairway is going to accidentally get in the way of at least half of those, and... The week that you just happen to get a couple more in play, uh, a couple more in the fairway, or a couple more that are on the correct side of a dog leg, that's just variance within your shot pattern, and it's one of the main reasons golf is so hard to win golf tournaments. And But you're just sitting around waiting on variance. I mean, again, like Bryson's Masters could not have gone worse than it did on so many levels. He probably lost the only ball in the history of the Masters that wasn't obviously in a bush. And I don't know what he finished, but it was still like, <laughs> He finished middle of the pack of making the cut, I believe. Like, yeah. Well, he didn't win. Well, you know what? Being the goat is hard. So I'm not really worried about you didn't win every event. It's obviously been a successful, uh, you know, experiment here, and it's just comical to me that people start comparing, you know, Bernard Longer and and Larry Mize to it. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. Obviously, it was a great thing for me. I made a couple bets with people on the internet and provided 100,000 meals for the North Texas Food Bank because people are so gullible with trying to just think that Larry Mize has an actual chance against Bryson. I, I mean, it's, it's comical, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, the- it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Example that I always give there is it, looking at a, a sample of one event is, is is it's useless. And if I were to flip a quarter ten times, and if I were to flip heads eight out of those ten times, moving forward the chances of heads is not eighty percent. So when Bryson has an off week, 
Moving forward, the chances of Bryson continuing to have an off week is not 100%. So if Bryson is going to play Bernhard week in and week out, I'm going to go with Bryson every single week, and Bryson's going to win 95% of the time or more. It's just how it's going to work out. So looking at a sample of one is just a, is, is a bad idea, and, and a lot of people have very uh, you know, recency bias when, when, when things like that happen. Well, I think a few interesting points there about are they the best. I mean, I think people hang on to the Langer and the Mice thing just because it's romantic and it's fun, and it adds really good variation to the game to watch what is as we all really know, if we want to think about it, an underdog. You know, Langer would go in there treating himself as an underdog of finishing in the top five. You know, he isn't there. He knows he can do it, but he probably doesn't think he will. Um, So it's fun to watch the underdog come through and challenge the person who's so blatantly got bigger weapons. I mean, I always think, like, there's no way Gary Player didn't, peg up against Jack Nicholas and just think like I can't muck around today this guy is good and he hits it longer than me so I have to be super good if it's going to be my week my day and we all know what Gary Player kind of comes across as he's like the best competitor that's ever lived I mean he's so doggy competitor and he could do it but not as much as someone like Jack did and Jack had such an advantage with length over such other players and other players through history as well like when Norman was doing his domination and I know there's articles that he actually eased back a little bit on the power to gain accuracy so he could have gone even more possibly but one of the best drivers of the ball I was watching a 1986 or 87 or 88 Masters he hit it 290 down 15 at Augusta Norman did 290 that's a wooden headed club and a Ballard golf ball so modern money, that's as long as anybody out there now. It just seems to be forgotten a little bit uh, and not as celebrated as it used to. So now we can identify what an advantage it is. It's almost a wake-up call to some people thinking, oh, I don't think I like that, not for any particular reason. They just kind of, for some reason, don't like it. But, it, it, you know, it's going to change, and it is changing, isn't it? I, I, I was just say, I, I think one key that I like, that I always want to make when people talk about Norman, or just anybody... Nicholas, I swing at 80%, or Norman, I backed off a little bit for accuracy. I'm calling total BS on that because he might have felt like he was, but just to make up numbers, there's no chance he had 125 in the bank and backed it off to 118 and still main control. It's, it's like a locomotive pulls because pulling has more stability versus pushing. If you start trying to back it, it's why a guy like Jamie Sladowski is challenged you know with trying to back off and actually play golf it's just hard to swing it softer than you're actually capable of and I, the reason i say this is like me personally i've been going on this distance you know quest and everyone's like well how much harder are you swinging like i am swinging it as physically fast as i possibly could i could swing it harder but i couldn't swing it faster and that's maybe what a guy like norman or nicholas or it's always lost in translation that's the whole reason i like making that point for those listening at home is Norman might have said I backed it off. There's no chance he left 10% of club head speed. He might have left 10% of effort on the table, but he didn't leave 10% of club head speed on the table. Well, it's a really good point. I mean, that is built, that statement is built around, I think, what Butcher said it publicly. Also, it's built around the fact that you did see a noticeable difference in Norman's backswing length. And we're talking, you know, days where launch monitors weren't used. So if someone's swinging back shorter, they're obviously in it softer. It's those kind of ideas. Well, 
John Ram, Finau don't kind of obviously play to those rules. So I think it's built more around, again, the idea that he backed off. And he might, like you say, he might even say that he backed off. But he, you know, I've I've measured loads of golfers and I get them to swing at a speed and then I ask them to swing at a top speed and it doesn't top out much more. And I say, was that faster? And they say, yeah, yeah, that's definitely faster. And you measure it and it's like, well, it wasn't actually. You just felt like you pulled harder or pushed harder, but you didn't get it out to the club head, then in turn the ball and nothing changed. So I think that's a very good point. I mean, you watch Norman in this Masters, he ain't leaving anything back. He's right foot slipping, and that's ground reaction force pushing back at him, which is pushing that foot out of the way because he is pushing so hard into the floor to move it. He isn't holding anything back. He's he's smashing it. And they had spikes then. Yeah, that would yeah. have been spikes as well. I just want to I want to comment on that, Mark, about uh, you mentioned uh, something along the lines of maybe we forget about how long they, they used to be. They clearly hit the ball farther today. Equipment is is a big part of that. But one of the things that I think has changed in the game around distance, it's not just that the ball is going further. It's not just that the the, the clubs are allowing the ball to go further. It's that players are trying to hit it farther more often. So back then, and so distance isn't just about swinging the club 130 miles an hour. Distance is also about hitting it as far as you can, as often as you can. And players are doing that a lot more now. They're not laying back for position they're not uh, hitting long irons off the tee because that's what they were that's what you're supposed to do on a shorter par four you're supposed to lay back to give yourself a full wedge the strategy has changed a lot Brody came out with strokes gained that was the inflection point that was the beginning of the inflection point where we really started to quantify and understand distance better then Scott you started decade with 2015 2014 ish right around there and a little bit before that with some of the things you're putting out there in the thoughts and so mark took strokes gained or scott took mark strokes gained applied it and players are now looking at that and it's interesting when you look at the numbers over the past three years you really see the curve start to go up and a lot of that is due to players hitting it longer especially on shorter holes where typically they would lay back before and one other point i wanted to make about you know gaining speed i've gone through the the uh, the speed gaining process as well and uh, i i've added a bunch of speed i am nowhere near at scott's level as a player i'm nowhere near at your level as a player but i've i've sort of eaten my own dog food and and i've uh, tried to get a lot faster and one funny story on that sometimes uh, when i'm when i'm speed training i'm hitting actual golf balls i do all the working out i use super speed i do it all but i hit actual golf balls and i was swinging so hard that one time i missed the golf ball completely (laughs) And if you, it felt like, you know how you take that extra step when there isn't a step there and your, your body kind of freaks out a little bit? Well, my body kind of freaked out a little bit because I just, it was air. It was an, it was an air swing. It was very odd. So I did, I anyway. did one when I was trying to go for, I was trying to get to 130 for the first time and I was just swinging so hard and pulling up and around that my lead foot came off the ground so much that I actually fell down. I didn't, I didn't miss the ball. I hit the ball, but I actually was coming so hard and around. And it was actually like one of my slowest swings out of the entire session that day. But I was trying so hard that I came off the ground and spun around onto the ground. Lou, I think that's a really interesting point, just where you talk about your gains. Like, again, when I was playing in my 20s, you know, I swung the club, again, 120, 122. So for me to get to 130, yes, I've gained some speed, but 
you know, I've always been fast. You, what were you originally? Weren't you like 99 miles an hour and you got up to like 114 or 15? Because I think that's incredible for the, the average listener at home to listen to. You're just, you're just a stats guy who's a, you know, a four handicap or whatever you are. Like you're a good player, but you've really done some amazing stuff in my opinion. Yeah, I started out the journey. Uh, well, I, I used to swing around 108 uh, back when I was down playing near scratch and, and that was 10 plus years ago. And, and then, you know, wife, family, all that got in the way. And I, I just stopped playing as much. And my got older, I sit behind a desk all day. And my swing speed just gradually went from 108 down to the upper 90s. And, and, you know, when I started this journey last year, I was, you know, if I maxed out, I could get to 101, 102. Um, and that was, you know, swinging as, as fast and hard as I could playing speed 98 99 and now my playing speed is yeah, is up around quick, 115 and when i'm speed training i've hit you know up mid mid upper 120s so 127 128 and i've hit ball speed of 185 a few times but i mean i can't play that that's insane yeah i, I can't play that not not even close uh, uh and i mean th- th- those are the swings where you know i miss <laughs> one out of 100 times uh but i i've <laughs> but my point is literally you're a guy who's a desk jockey right. who's not putting in 20 hours a week in the gym. Like you're putting in effort, obviously. Hey, guess what, audience? Getting good at golf requires yeah. effort. I would assume you've put in some effort, but it's not like you're going crazy with protein shakes and flying to Denver for treatment. You've, you've picked up 15 miles an hour in your playing speed. That I mean, that is... Yeah. That's incredible, in my opinion, in a year. Yeah, and it's it's really changed the game for me. Um, it's it's a completely different game, and you know, it, Bryson isn't the only one doing it. You're not the only one. I'm not the only one. I know Mark is on the speed journey. Even the slower players on tour are 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 really ramping up their speed. So they they've actually gained more miles per hour in clubhead speed. The slowest players on tour than the fastest fastest players on tour have. And one of the other things that that we don't often talk about that I think it's overlooked is I wish we had data prior to 2007 on clubhead speed and, and all of the other launch monitor stats. We don't. It starts in 2007. But you can see how they are dialing in their launch characteristics. And you can see that launch angle went from 10 and a half to about 11 and a half. Uh, for you know whatever group of golfers you look at, so launch angles coming up, spin is coming down, and I'm not a, a club uh, engineer, club expert like uh, some of the uh, the fitters out there, but I think a yeah. lot of the launch angle changes that you're seeing are because players are are altering how they deliver the club to the ball, and they're adding more launch that way because they realize that's going to make the ball go further. And it's not just swinging faster, it's optimizing all of these launch conditions to get the most speed. Absolutely, and it leads us on to our last point. It's a good point there, Lou, because it is definitely, it's more the understanding is changing, and you see how... I mean, I've seen how coaching has changed. So where do you think this will all go? Um, you know, at what point, what, you know, what point does X clubhead speed not make it on tour? Where do we think this could end up? Because I just look at the long drivers and I know Bryson is definitely looking at the long drivers and what they're doing, the speeds they can reach. And they're, they're you know, anyone who's thinking about golf at the moment is thinking, well, if you can reach the speeds that they reach and then play with it, as in compete, have all the skills, have all the skills of the PGA Tour players. Like, 
is that where we're going to end up? Are we going to end up that it needs to be long driver kind of ideas to be getting out there and competing? What do we think? Um, I, I think speed speed will continue to increase. Um, the the average on tour has gone from 112 to about 114 over the years we have data, 2007 to 2020. Uh, and with what Bryson has done over the last year or so, um, I think we're going to see a quicker climb than we have over the last few years. Uh, and then with everything that we've learned from uh, analyzing the numbers and understanding how much uh, it, how, how important distance is, I think that's only going to continue to propel this forward faster than it has been. And I wouldn't be surprised to see an average swing speed on tour of 120 in the next five to six years. Yeah. Um, you know, but you know, that's that's always going to be tougher. You know, the more I think it's going to climb quick and we're going to see that faster, the more I realize that players that are younger now, um, they will they've established themselves on tour. As they get older, their swing speed will decrease. I, I did some uh, I did a study on swing speed and how that decreases as you age. And and there's no stopping you know. The clock. You will get slower as you get older. I think some players are fighting that off a little bit more now. But some of these players that uh, are going to, you know, be exempt for the rest of their career and playing off as often as they want, they've learned how to score. They've learned how to get the ball in the hole. They're going to hang out, and in in ten years, they might be on the tour and they might be swinging one fifteen, and they're going to. I guess what I'm trying to say is they're going to drag that average down a little bit as they stick around. Yeah, absolutely. Scott, what do you think? Personally, I, I think that, I, well, I think that one of the comments that I started to make earlier when Lou was talking about, you know, just drivers and three woods and, and, you know, dropping back to long iron off the tee, three wood is just almost never the play. It, it really isn't. Um, because unless you're removing a, a hazard that crosses the fairway, you just don't hit it that much straighter than your driver. So it's really never the play. And what I personally think is going to start happening is you're going to see a lot of two driver setups. You're going to see a 46 and a half, 47 inch driver that they draw or fade, and then a 45 inch driver that they hit the other the other shape. Because um, that's one thing that's been really interesting to me is I actually, when I've been experimenting with a 47 inch driver, I'm drawing it without even really trying to. I don't know if that's just it's coming a little bit more from behind me or whatever thing I can mess up in, in uh, instruction parlance. But I really believe that the three wood is going to go away. And the club that I really think would be interesting because you do hit a flat faced iron further than a, you know, a, a curved face hybrid or a curved face three wood or driver. I think that some sort of a, I'm literally making up a number out of thin air here, but like a 42 inch driving iron. So you're going to go like 47 inch driver, 45 inch driver, 42 inch driving iron, and then four iron on down. I think that that's going to be a, a potential setup. Um, I really also believe that there is an upper limit on how far you can hit it and still play tour caliber golf. I don't think any amateurs are going to need to be worrying about, oh my God, I'm hitting it too far. But I do think that just because if you look in degrees offline, the longer players are typically actually straighter. And it's that's a bit of a survivorship bias because they've made it to the tour as longer players. It's kind of hard to spray it all over the lot and keep your card. But there is only so straight in degrees offline you can hit it. And as you start taking that out to 360, 380, 400, let's be silly, you got to hit it really straight to not be in the trees a lot. But 
on any hole that's just tree-lined and not hazard-lined, I think it'd be interesting to try to hit a 380 out there. I mean, again, Kyle Berkshire is posting images of him playing actual golf holes now, and it's just comical where, I mean, he's hitting it 400-plus yards. I don't know what kind of handicap he carries, but... I again, I am swinging at 130 now. That's a 350-yard tee shot. I'm 47. I, I, the one thing that I've really had somebody phrase it to me recently that was really well put was, you know, I can outthink and I can out whatever you know a younger player, but I'm not going to outwork them. And if now you give a, a 25-year-old kid carte blanche, hey dude, go to work out because they love working out. I I work out. I don't enjoy it. When I was 25, I enjoyed it. You go give a 25-year-old, dude, go eat as much as you can and work out as hard as you can, and then you actually quantify that to where I'm paying you. Hey, buddy, I'm paying you $1,000 every time you hit the gym. They're going to just put $1,000 on their desk and be like, well, I'm going to pick that up by going to the gym right now, and I think it's going to be I think it's gonna be unbelievable to watch. I do agree with Lou that, that there will be some older guys dragging that curve down, but I think that the main thing also that people are getting wrong is that golf is not going to be a 25-year career like it used to be. It is a shorter sprint. You aren't going to work out those, you know, outwork those kids in their 20s. And again, when I was playing professionally in my 20s, we all thought that you peaked around 30 because that's how long it took you to learn to hit all the shots on tour. You don't. There aren't all the. There's not a ton of shots you need. You need a go-to shot that you hit constantly. A couple of different chip shots. But really what people have figured out there, what I personally believe, is that by the, it takes you to get to 30 to develop a prefrontal cortex, to de- develop some executive function and decision-making skills, essentially course management, and you know, not to push a decade, but that's, that puzzle's been solved. That, that is a solved problem that I can teach a 14-year-old how to think like Tiger Woods in under four hours. Yeah. So that part of the game is totally removed, and now it's just... Who can play the best? The, the I'm going to outthink you, the Ray Floyd, I'm going to outthink you, you around the golf course. That's done if you put the effort in there. Mark, I have a question for you around equipment. Um, we saw Bryson uh, toy around with this longer driver and, and take the loft on his driver significantly lower. Um, and that delivers more energy. It's less of a glancing blow. Do you, do you think we're going to see a, a trend not only with tour players, but with the rest of us? Do you, do you think we'll see pl- players moving to lower lofted drivers? Yes, I do. Um, I don't think for the masses, but basically a few points here where I think it will go. I think what Scott's saying there about the bag developments will change. I've literally just posted a video tonight on my YouTube channel talking about two driver setups and my golf bag now is so much more heavily loaded in the top end. So trying to play from 200 up to my driver more efficiently, because I did a I did a little test where from basically 120 yards in, I can hit a nine iron a wedge and my 58 or my 52 wedge and hit every number. I don't need four wedges. I don't need loads of clubs. That's like a, one of those kind of myths that we've been taught through manufacturers, pref- generally ones that sell wedges will tell you you need lots of wedges. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I do. Bob Bogey's made a little money on yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I mean, you can do this with a number of different handicap sets of players, and they are able to hit 
25 yards, 35 yards, 45 yards, 65 yards with a number of clubs. They can't hit a green at 200 and 210 and 220 and 190 or whatever their equivalent is at that point because they generally have one hybrid that they don't know what the loft of it is. You know, so you take two of those wedges out and give them some more weapons at the top end of their club, which the statistics show us that, you know, one of the standout differences between a good player and a high handicapper is around a 200-yard approach play uh, uh, number in. That's where amateurs really do struggle to have any kind of level performance. So I do think that the way bags are set up uh, will change. And the other reason I think they will change is because it basically gives all the manufacturers another narrative. And to be fair, at the moment, the manufacturers are desperate for narratives because they're running out. Everything's controlled. Anything that allows a different narrative, a different train of conversation. Just think, of, I mean, drivers are the most profitable. That's why your big players, your Callaways and TaylorMades, want to sell the most drivers. That's why Titleist release a new driver and it's got aero-grade faces and what have you because they want a piece of that pie. If you can start selling two drivers into people's bags, wowzers, there are people in um, meetings right now looking at spreadsheets going, if we can convert our audience, our customers, into having two drivers, that's far better than them having three wedges. Let's do that. So I do think the manufacturers will push that way, A, because the narrative is going that way, and B, it's a great one for their bottom line at the end of the day. If you can sell two drivers into more people's golf bags, they are not going to turn that down at all. To your point about bag setup, though, like whenever I give my seminar in person, I'll, I always talk about this, you know, holding your 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 60 degree wedge like with a putter grip, a reverse overlap grip and having a couple of different, you know, Pell's like positions, 10 o'clock, 8 o'clock that allow you to hit different distances. And every single time a kid, you know, I'll be like, anyone in here think they're a bad wedge player? And I'll get a 17 year old kid raise his hand every time. So you hit it pretty far, don't you? Yeah. I'm like, well, how far do you hit your 60? A hundred. How far do you hit your fifty-six? One twenty. Okay. How far do you hit your four iron? Two twenty. And then I'll come back to a wedge, and then I go back to the five iron. And the four and five iron are almost always five yards apart or ten yards apart from what they just give me just off the cuff. And so, just like you're saying, getting a, a smoother bag, they'll have a thirty-yard gap in their wedges and a ten-yard gap in their four, five, or six iron. One of those two will have a, a too small of a gap. And again, this is where. Playing elite level great golf is hard, but getting that bag bent, getting it set up correctly to where you've just got, you're not having to hit so many half shots. I had a really good junior golfer send me a text yesterday saying, how do you suggest I take you know, distance off of a club? And I'm like, well, I would hit the longer club to a front pin. I would hit the longer club to a middle pin, and I would hit the shorter club to the back pin, and I would just hit them. And don't worry about trying to take it off because if you're trying to do that with a foreign, good luck. And with a you know a nine iron and less, you've got a chance of taking a little bit of speed off and it not becoming a big problem. But Lou, that gets back to like your seven iron test. Anytime you're hitting anything other than your stock shot, and I'm just making this up, you might be able to get it better distance wise, but your direction more than offsets it. You just you just need to hit so many more stock shots than you can possibly imagine in order to play you know, your best golf. Yeah, I'm looking forward to when they have two drivers in the bag and, and I can have one driver that I hit 50 yards right and the other one that I can hit 70 yards left. It's going to be good times. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so basically for me, the standout points, as we kind of all know, 
Um, being the longest doesn't mean you're the best, but it certainly gives you maybe one of the best opportunities of being the best is a standout point for me. Would you agree, guys? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Yes, sir. So you can definitely still compete any distance, and we will still see those langers coming through and the mises doing what they're doing, but if you want to give yourself that best chance, definitely being longer, and everyone needs to go and buy loads more drivers. So really, I think we'll, we're going to have a sponsor of this podcast <laughs> by next week. At this point. <laughs> <laughs> The, the the blank podcast brought to you by Callaway. Yeah, you know just text me saying, "Can we chat?" Uh, yes, we can. <laughs> See you next week. So, thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you, Lou. Thank you, Scott. As always, we will be here hopefully each week. If you've got any suggestions for other pods you want us to tackle, um, just post in the reviews down below and give us a review and tell us what you thought of the pod. That always helps. And give us plenty of stars. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the not uh, in the next podcast.